When I think about this passage about radical faith, uh, I'm reminded of an account I read a while back where there was a, an instructor that was a management consultant. She was leading a seminar, and she used an, uh, an illustration that had been used in many different settings to make a point, but she put a little different twist to it. She asked a volunteer from the audience and said, if I put a 40-foot I-beam in front of this podium on the ground, would you walk that 40-foot I-beam for $20? Well, the volunteer said, yeah, of, of course I'll do that. Then she said, well, what if I took that same 40-foot I-beam and suspended it between two skyscrapers 50 stories above the street? Would you walk across that for $20? He goes, well, no way. And then she says, well, how about for $100? He's like, well, no way, still no way. So she took it a little bit further. She said, now, imagine me on one of those skyscrapers up there next to the beam dangling one of your kids over the edge of the building and and saying to you, if you don't walk that I-beam, I'm going to drop your kid. The volunteer hesitated for just a second, then just said, which one of my kids you got over there? (laughs) This passage in the Gospel of Mark has always intrigued and amazed me because, well, there's a number of reasons, actually. We see Jesus. This is Tuesday of what we call Holy Week, just a little over 48 hours prior to his arrest and trial and conviction. And he takes the time to teach his disciples a lesson on faith once again. You see, Jesus knew that the mission he was soon to send them out on, that great commission we just talked about a moment ago, and they were going to need to have a very strong faith and confidence in God. So he takes the time to teach them a lesson. He curses a poor, unsuspecting fig tree. And the next morning, Peter and the other disciples see that tree withered from the roots. The most shocking thing about this story is not that Jesus killed the tree. No, far more shocking to me is the reaction of these disciples to something that Jesus had did. Peter and his friends, they were utterly amazed. They were dumbfounded. Jesus, how did you do that? Wow, that's amazing. And I I, got to think Jesus was thinking to himself, wait a minute, guys. How can you possibly be amazed at something like this? You have seen me walk on water. You've seen me turn water to wine. You've seen me heal thousands upon thousands of sick, lame, blind, deaf, and mute people. You've even seen me speak to Lazarus, who was in the grave for four solid days. And he came out at my word. How can you be so amazed at this? How can you possibly be so slow to believe? But that's the very reason they needed this lesson again. But I'm amazed at how Jesus turns it around. They're amazed at what he did. And they're going, wow, Jesus, look what you did. And he simply responds to telling them not what he can do. He says, I'm going to tell you what you will be able to do. You will be able to turn things around much more than cursing a fig tree. You can even say to this mountain, be moved and it will be cast into the sea. I don't know if the light bulbs went off very quickly, but he simply says to them, have faith in God. But sometimes it's how we say it that matters. Like someone could say, let's eat, Grandpa. Or they could say, let's eat, Grandpa. And it's just a little bit different emphasis. And I'm not sure how they were hearing it, but the way I hear Jesus saying this is, have some faith in God. Have some confidence in his ability to get things done. Have some trust in his goodness and his desire to make this world a better place for mankind. You've watched me do this, friends. You've watched me transform lives day in and day out. Have some faith in God that that's what he wants to continue doing. 
Well, I'm very encouraged, and most of us should be, all of us should be, that Jesus had such patience with his disciples, but also confidence in them. This should give us great hope, because I'm one of those that's probably slow to believe. I'm a pretty rational thinker. I want to figure everything out. I want to think things through. But this kind of faith requires something different than that. So Jesus goes on from saying, hey, have faith in God, to saying one of the most startling and striking things he ever said about mere people like disciples. And by the way, this is one of those verily, verily, if you're a King James fan, statements of Jesus. It's one of those times where Jesus prefaced something he was going to say with, I'm really telling you the truth. And he usually said that. He said it 25 times in the Gospels, right before he was going to say something he knew was going to sound outlandish to them or they're going to find very difficult to accept or understand. So he says, guys, everything I say is true, but this, I tell you the truth, this is true, whether you understand it or not. So he said, you're going to be able to speak words out of your mouth and change the world. You're going to be able to ask God for anything, not just counting on me to do it for you. You're going to be able to ask God for anything, and he is going to respond to your prayers. See, Jesus had covered this in Matthew 17, just a few months before this. It's not like it's the first time. The disciples had been down at the bottom of the mountain when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before him. them. That was this glorious experience those three got to experience with Jesus. But down at the bottom of the mountain, the other nine disciples were trying to heal a young boy who had a demon and was causing epileptic seizures. And they came afterwards and said, well, why couldn't we do it? And in Matthew chapter 17 Jesus replies with these words, Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. Another one of those verily, verily statements. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And then he adds this, Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I know whenever we start talking about mountain-moving faith and changing the world and dramatically altering what's going on around us, that there may be many, if not most of us here in a day like this, that feel like, wait a minute, the mountains are sitting right on top of me. I, I I can't even breathe. I can't even see straight. The busyness of our life, our overwhelming schedules, relationship or family challenges, financial stresses, there's so many things that seem to be bombarding all of us all the time. But this message of applied faith is so important, and there's principles that apply to every aspect of our lives, whether it's changing the world for Jesus or changing the course of our marriage, changing the world for those who are suffering in poverty over in Africa or changing our relationships in every aspect of our lives. These words are powerful that Jesus gives us. It was so important to Jesus that they got this lesson that two days later, at the Last Supper, Jesus brings it up yet again. And we find that scripture in John chapter 14. I'm going to read that for you. He says this, I tell you the truth. Again, one of those verily, verily statements. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything and I will do it. God's help and his power resides now within us in the church. That's what Jesus was teaching them. The same Jesus that they saw walking in front of them, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. 
I'm going to come. And he came when the Holy Spirit came into the disciples' lives, when they put their faith and trust into him, and they were released. And that same Jesus who had walked in front of them doing all these things was now going to reside within them and continue that work. The really good news for all of us is that this same Peter, we're going to look at him today, whose dim faith was so amazed that Jesus could speak to a fig tree and curse it and would wither up. I mean, we know scientifically if you yell at your plants, they're going to not do so well, right? And it wasn't such a big miracle. But his dim faith was amazed at that. And this is the same Peter who, two days later, denied he even knew Jesus three times and actually did get this down. And not more than 60 to 90 days later, we see him over in Acts chapter 3 putting into practice this exact teaching of Jesus. Let's take a look. It says this in Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? I love this. Remember, he was surprised at the fig tree, and now he's saying, Why are you so surprised? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith, in the name of Jesus... This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Friends, there is great power in the name of Jesus. We close our prayers in the name of Jesus, rightfully so. But do we understand it as power in heaven as we appeal to the Father? But it has power on earth. And Peter simply took Jesus' teachings, which were repeated over and over again. It began to form in his thinking, and he put it into practice. And a man's life is transformed because of it. A few years back, a good friend of mine was taking a stroll on a nice path through a wooded area where she lived out in California. Nice, beautiful evening, enjoying the night, when suddenly she was grabbed from behind and knocked to the ground. A man was assailing her to sexually assault her. Her response, she put up her hand like a stop sign and said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I rebuke you, spirit, and this man, and I forbid you to touch me. The man stepped back as if he'd been hit over the head with a sledgehammer, and when he could finally gather himself, he could only get these words out. What church do you go to anyway? And he left her alone. There is power in the name of Jesus. So what was it that crystallized in Peter? 
In the short space of 60 to 90 days between the events of Holy Week and the events that followed Pentecost and Acts chapter 3, that transformed him into a powerful preacher, into a compassionate, fearless healer. And what can we learn from it? You see, I'm convinced that Peter and all of the first century disciples had all the same hang-ups, the low self-esteem, the poor low self-image that many of us have, same guilt issues, the same shame, and the inner speak that just put them down. They were living in that negative mindset about themselves. Many of us are like that. We don't think too highly about ourselves or our prospects or our abilities or, or what God would actually use us to do. But thank God, because that's not the way God sees us. He sees us as capable. He sees us as power filled by his very presence and desires to use us. So we're going to look at God's idea of what radical faith is here this morning. We're going to see what it looks like in the lives of real people and find out how we can grow as Peter did in this kind of faith. See, I believe Peter took five very clear steps that every one of us can take as well to be released in our faith. Number one, he put his faith in God, not in his ability or his perceptions or his understandings. Number two, I believe he focused on Jesus' words, his commands, and his promises whenever his mind pulled him back. I do believe he faced his fears and he overcame them. Fourthly, I believe he forgot his failures. And fifth, and ultimately which released him, he followed his heart moved by the compassion of Jesus. See, I'm convinced Peter and John and the other disciples had seen this man in Acts chapter 3. He said, they said he'd been put out there every day. He was lame. He was begging. They'd seen him hundreds of times before. But what changed was when that hand was being held out for begging, Peter's heart was moved with compassion. He didn't run away. He didn't think this is somebody else's job. His heart was moved with the compassion of Jesus. And there he was. And he gave the man what Jesus had given him. So let's take a little closer look at what Jesus really teaches here in these passages we've looked at. Jesus said, have faith in God, or simply put, be continually, firmly persuaded and convinced that God is honest. He's truthful and faithful by nature, and that he will do exactly what he said he will do in every case, at all times. And the exact things that Jesus did when he walked this earth are in fact the expressed will of God that he wants us to keep on doing. Jesus wasn't showing us something just to show us the power of God. He was demonstrating in his humanness what God wants to continue doing through us as the church of Jesus Christ. The word for faith in the New Testament commonly used is a word that means firm persuasion. Nothing's going to talk you out of it. You're absolutely certain So Jesus says, have faith in God, not faith in your prayers, not faith in your spirituality, not faith in your religion or religious practices, not faith in your spiritual practices or disciplines or even your scripture memory or the other things that you've accumulated because that's depending on yourself. Those are great things. But Jesus said, have faith in God, not in yourselves. Problem is, none of those things that we can generate could even move a grain of sand, let alone move a mountain. But God can. Have that kind of faith and then act on that faith in your words, your deeds, and your prayers. You see, passive faith, I believe, prays and hopes God will do something about it. Radical faith prays, obeys, 
believes, speaks in God-confident faith, and receives. And God is glorified. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith for us in this way. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And goes on in verse 6 to say, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Being sure and certain. Remember I said firm persuasion is what the word for faith is translated to mean out of the Greek? We become persuaded and things when we've taken a serious look at them, don't we? Many times we start not being so persuaded about something, but when we look at it a little closer, we think about it further, we consider it, we can become persuaded. Our faith is a growing thing if we'll accept that. Peter, over time, grew in faith, and we are all continuing to grow to that point where we are firmly persuaded, never going to change again. Pamela Reeve, in her great little book called Faith Is, shares these thoughts. Faith is not a leap in the dark, nor a mystical experience, nor an indefinable encounter with someone, but trust in one who has explained himself in a person, Jesus Christ, in a historical record, the Bible. She goes on to say, Faith is realizing that what God is going to do through me will be on the basis of miracle, not manpower. His promise, not my goodness. You see... I believe faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Do we realize as we sit in this place, in this beautiful sanctuary today, all of us have that kind of faith as a gift from God already? The Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He said only a mustard seed of faith is what we need. But the issue is, do we understand it's not having it that matters, it's learning how to use it or apply it that will make the difference. Now, this is not positive confession. This is powerful expression. This is not name it and claim it. This is to know God's purpose and to proclaim it. This is not some magic formula for success. This is the release of God's very best. I want to make one comment about what radical faith is not. It's not unthinking, gambling, wild stabs, going out and just doing whatever we comes to our mind and expecting God to pick up the pieces. No far from that. I do know of a church treasurer in this area. I won't mention the name of the area. You might know about this. That took his church's entire building fund, several hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, and uh, gambled it away on pork belly futures because I think God was telling them they needed more money for their and bankrupted the church. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about here. Jesus, in fact, tells us to count the cost, think through our plans, and evaluate our options. Then choose the best plan based on the best information, lining it up with God's word and his commands, and then act on it in faith. We need to come to understand something about how God is determined to work in this world. He's, God is actively working 24-7, 365 days a year. And 100% of his kingdom coming and his will being done on this earth is being done through the church. That's you and me. Lloyd John Ogilvie, the former chaplain of the United States Senate, said it this way, captured it perfectly. Without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. So where do we start? Where, Where do we begin to move out into these areas? Well, I think we start with the basics. 
Jesus said to all the believers in the Sermon on the Mount, he said two things. You are the salt of the earth, sent by Jesus to preserve the world from rotting morals and corrupt behaviors. And you are the light of the world. And Jesus said, I don't intend to hide you in the church buildings. You're to show people the way of life in me. Now, salt was the only preservative they had in those days. They didn't have refrigeration or freezers. They used salt. And if there's any hope for this world to be preserved, it's us. Jesus never said to the the vile, to the criminal element, to those who were unbelievers or ungodly of his day or would not say it to ours, I expect you guys to shape up and change the world. Now, Jesus spoke to his church. He spoke to and speaking to you and I. It is our job. If this corrupt culture around us, if our society which is in decay, decomposing right in front of us, is going to survive, it's going to be because of you and I. And God has sprinkled his salt every place where we go. Where you and I go in our day-to-day, in our day-to-day lives, he has sprinkled us out there to be difference makers. Jesus also said that we're the light of this world. When things get dark, light's really helpful, isn't it? You ever stumbled through your bedroom at night with the lights off and you can't figure, and I'm trying to not wake up my wife and trying to find my way. And now I found a nice thing. I have my iPad. I carry it in there and I use it as a little flashlight. It works pretty good. Um, It's better than the cell phone. That wasn't much light at all. But any amount of light is helpful when things are dark. Friends, you are, you are, you and I are the light of this world. There's not another one that God is going to invent. When things get dark, it's time for us not to hide under the pews of the church but to shine our light brighter than ever. Sometimes we sit back and complain that the atheists are advancing their agenda despite the fact that they're an overwhelming minority, even in our culture. But the only reason they can continue to advance is if we sit back and do nothing. Pope John Paul II was asked a question by a reporter some time back. Don't you think the church should change? Some of your views on abortion and sexual promiscuity and other things are so outdated Don't you think the church should change its standards so it can better identify with the modern world? Wouldn't it be better? The Pope said, my son, we don't change our standards because the church is the standard. We, you and I, are called to set the standards for this world. And our lives can make that difference. But what is the one thing that Jesus said back in Mark chapter 11, we read it, that can derail the mighty locomotive of radical faith. He said, doubt. If you believe and don't doubt in your heart, this will be done. And I believe the root of all kinds of doubts is fear. Fear is a powerful and great enemy of this kind of faith. Fear opens the floodgates of doubt. Well, what if? What will people think of me? What will people say about me? What if my friends reject me? What if the project fails? What if, what if? And I believe fear keeps us looking through the microscope at all the minute details about what might go wrong instead of looking through the telescope to the heights ahead that we can scale. Fear is very self-centered and focused on how something will affect us instead of focusing on the tremendous benefits our bold actions are going to bring others. During World War II, my father was in the Army Air Corps he was on a nighttime training mission on a B-17 bomber. How many know what a B-17 looks like? It's amazing those things could fly. Those huge, t- like tanks with four engines on them. 
But they're on a nighttime training mission. His responsibility was as the radio operator. As they're lumbering through the night sky on a cross-country mission over Texas, my father smelled smoke in the plane and noticed it was coming from the bomb bay forward of his position. Knowing that a fire on that plane would lead to a huge explosion, knowing the tanks were full of gas and there was oxygen because it flew above 10,000 feet, that there was imminent danger. So we went forward into the Bombay area to look to see what was going on. What he discovered, there had been an explosion. There was a huge fire there. Instead of just grabbing his parachute and jumping out, assuming everyone else knew what was going on, my father wanted to let the pilots know. So he made his way forward through the smoke-filled, flame-filled area, only to find that the co-pilot was asleep behind the cockpit. So they made sure, they said, we've got to let the pilot know. And they got into the cockpit and found out the pilot was already gone. He had already bailed out. He had radioed a message back to everyone else in the plane, knowing they are going to crash. But the wires had been melted because of the flame. No one heard the message. With every passing moment, an explosion was increasingly imminent. But my father pressed back through the smoke and flames again. Instead of jumping to safety, he went to the, the back, the tail section of the plane, to find that entire crew sound asleep as well. He awakened them all and alerted them to the danger, and they all bailed out safely. As my father was drifting towards the dark earth below, he saw that plane explode on the horizon in the distance. If he had followed his fear or assumed that it was someone else's job to tell everyone, he himself would have been saved, but the rest of his crew would have died in a fiery explosion. What a vivid picture of our world today, our culture, our society is on this plane destined for ultimate destruction. We can't hide in fear anymore. We can't hide in the church anymore. Jesus has sent us to be bold, sent us out to get the message of his love and his life out. Psychologists tell us there are three major categories of fears that almost all of us will face. It's fear of the unknown, fear of the unexpected, and fear of the unbearable. Now, the, just to illustrate this, the African impala, this is not a zoological lesson here today, but the African impala is a beautiful, wonderful creature. It's only about this tall at the shoulder, maybe 30 to 36 inches, maybe this tall in total. But that creature can jump 10 feet high and 33 feet in a single bound. That's about from here to halfway back in the sanctuary, just like that. But any one of these creatures, beautiful as they are and capable as they are, in captivity can be held in by a three-foot-high fence. You know why? That creature won't jump if it cannot see where its feet are going to land to know exactly the outcome. That sounds a lot like you and me, doesn't it? Sure, I'll take a step of faith and risk just as long as I can be absolutely certain of the results. Faith is that ability to trust what we cannot see. And faith, by it, we are freed from our limitations. I don't know if you knew this, but there's no less than 125 fear-not commands in the New Testament alone. And 366 of them in the entire Bible. You think God knew we are going to need that? One for every day of the year plus leap year. Fear binds us, but faith releases us. So what three-foot fence is holding you back today? or blocking you from, or limiting you from doing what's in your heart to do? What noble tasks have been left undone because of fear? What past failures and regrets are hemming you in, and what heartbreak or heartache stands in your way? Friends, it's time. It's time to press forward. 
It's time to move past the past. It's time to take that step or even maybe a leap of faith. I'm convinced that most of our mountains will move right out of our way if instead of shrinking back from them, we simply make up our minds to confidently walk through them. Karl Bard said these encouraging words, Though no one can go back and make a brand new beginning, anyone can start today and make a brand new ending. Let your faith rise today. And maybe taking leap, a leap or step of faith is concerning. It reminds me of my son Jonathan, who's now my size and um, was a little guy. He used to like to play this game on the front steps in our household there going upstairs. He'd get on the second step. He's a little guy, but, and he'd like to jump and just jump. And, and I would catch him at the bottom of the steps. And then he'd get up to the third step and, and to kind of dive. And I'd grab him. Of course, I could catch him. And then he got up to the fourth step and he'd dive. He was fearless in taking that leap of faith. When he got to the fifth step, I said, son, it's a little too far. I'm not sure I can catch you. But he could take that step of faith, that leap of faith, because he knew two things. He knew his father loved him, and he knew his father was going to catch him every single time and never let him down. Friends, when we take steps of faith, our father loves us, and he's never going to let you down. The last thing Peter did to release him in his faith was he began to understand he needed to follow the love and compassion of Jesus in his heart. See, God's power follows his great love. So this morning, I want to ask this question. What breaks your heart and brings a tear to your eye when you see it? Is it seeing children suffer physical or sexual abuse, whether in our communities here or someplace around the world through worldwide slave trafficking? Then find out how you can step in and do something about it. Maybe you want to consult the International Justice Mission. IJM.com is a place to start. Is it seeing starving orphans in Darfur or Haiti that makes you cry? Then let that heart and faith lead you to do something significant about it. Maybe you, your family, your friends, your Boy Scout troop, whatever it may be, can take a, a trip out to feed my starving children. Spend a morning or an afternoon out there. It doesn't take, it doesn't cost anything. You can spend a morning together with a group of your friends or your associates, and pack thousands of nourishing meals that begin and will, in fact, make a difference. Are you moved when you see homeless people throughout DuPage County or Cook County or when you're getting off the train and heading to your office building downtown? Stop by Jewel or Dominic's or food store and get gift cards and $5 or $10 denominations. Have them stamped no alcohol or tobacco and have them ready. Be able to give something in Jesus' love and his name. Do the seemingly relentless problems of the inner city, which we see on the news, these drive-by shootings and gang violence, vex your soul? And take a step of faith and get involved with one of our great mission partners, whether it's Inner City Impact or Breakthrough Urban Ministries, who every day are making constructive, powerful difference right here in the city of Chicago. Or maybe it makes you sad when you see a student in your school sitting alone at lunchtime. Take that step of faith, walk across the cafeteria, Sit down and share a lunch with them. Express the love of Jesus. And maybe make a pact with your friend that no one eats alone in your school. Does a seemingly endless stream of chatter on Facebook and Twitter and the other social media networks drive you a little bit nuts? Well, take that opportunity to write a carefully crafted statement that you'll put out there as your status that lets the world see what you see in faith and sees God in the world. Friends, we're the salt, we're the light, 
we can and are making a difference. We simply need to take those steps. We are commissioned to spread the good news of Jesus. We are commanded to keep doing this until Jesus returns. And we're empowered by God to take on the most difficult and challenging issues in our world and see them transformed to the glory of God. We can change this world starting right here, right now. We can radically impact this world for Jesus. Friends, we can and we must.